2: unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
3: All right, we're in the process of finishing the construction for our recording studio in our new apartment. Not quite done yet. Getting there. Getting there. But uh, today's a particularly noisy day.
4: Car alarms, screaming children, barking dogs. So we're just going to launch right into it. Do you have a story?
3: Yes. Tell me quickly. Okay. Go! All right. (laughs) I figured with Halloween coming up, you know, I mean, we're officially in Halloween season. And uh, and also, we'll, at the end of the episode, tell you how you can submit your Halloween stories for our special. Please do. I thought I would do a haunted hotel story. Ooh. In 1885, the Grand Pacific Railroad opened up the vast Canadian wilderness connecting the coasts. Now, to attract tourists... They build a series of beautiful grand hotels along the train route.
4: Now, this is something that you want to do is like take a few months and then just do train route hotels.
3: Yeah, it's got to be top three bucket list travel adventure for me, no question. Now, most of these grand hotels still exist and are still operating as hotels today. For nearly 150 years, these buildings have stood And during that time, memories, experiences, and of course, ultimately, there are going to be tragedies, have soaked into these walls. And there are many unsettling stories, but one hotel stands out from the others. The Banff Springs Hotel.
4: I think we've seen a YouTube video about this, yes?
3: Yes, we have.
4: Dark wood, Mm. beams on the ceilings, and... Looks like an old castle. Yeah.
3: It's not just any old hotel. It's this grand castle-like structure that's nestled among the, among the stunning Canadian Rockies. It looks like it's been plucked straight out of a fairy tale, in my opinion. But as beautiful as it is, it has some eerie stories attached to
4: okay. it. okay.
3: Standing tall, it's a reminder of an era gone by. It's a symbol of luxury and grandeur. And back in the late 19th century, that was a time when really rail travel was at its peak. This was a craze during that particular time period. Anybody who was anybody or anybody of means, it wasn't cheap, Mm. would travel this train route from one side of Canada to the other and stay at all these luxurious hotels. Over a century has passed since the doors first opened in 1888. Now, buildings, especially ones as old and storied as this one, seem to have a life of their own. We've talked about that here in Cuenca. You walk into a building, it's 400 years old here, and you can just feel the history. And not surprising, and as probably you expect, tales of the unexpected have woven their way into its history. (laughs) Over time, stories started circulating, tales of ghostly apparitions, of unexplained sounds in the dead of night, Cold spots in otherwise warm rooms. So when you walk through the corridors of the Banff Springs Hotel, you're not just strolling through a luxurious hotel. You're traveling through time. You're brushing up against decades of stories and mysteries, and maybe, just maybe, the echoes of those who once called it home but never truly left.
4: You can check out any time you like. But
3: you can never leave. Right? So there are many stories of events that took place at the Banff that have been associated with ghosts and hauntings, but two truly stand out. So I'm going to paint the picture for you. One of the most romantic periods in my mind, the Roaring Twenties. Jazz is playing softly in the background. Flapper dresses are all the rage. and In the Banff Springs Hotel, a wedding is about to take place. Actually, it's in full swing. The bride and the groom are making their grand entrance, decked out in the style of their time, laces and long veils. The bride begins to descend the hotel's ornate marble staircase. Hold, oh, no. Holding a candle to light her way. Again, this was in the 20s, and I think it was more of an aesthetic thing. Anyway, the staircase itself, pretty grand. It's a centerpiece of the hotel's architecture. You can see pictures of it online. Uh-huh. And you can just imagine how it looked with its gleaming marble steps and the grand chandelier overhead. Now, this is where the story takes a tragic twist.
4: I think I see where you're going.
3: Yeah. Some say, there, there are a couple of variations, but some say, and the most likely one, is that her long-flowing train got caught under her heel and caused her to lose her balance. Other people say that uh, there had been a sudden draft and it blew out her candle and startled her. Regardless, she fell to the bottom of the marble stairs and um, sadly died on her wedding day.
4: Dodged a bullet. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding, of course. I love being married. To, well, I, li- I like being married to you, is what I'm saying.
3: Thank you for I'm just clarifying that. I'm
4: glad I didn't <laughs> die on our wedding day, I'm is glad. all I'm saying.
3: Glad you didn't as well.
4: I was just making a joke.
3: Although my shoes fell apart on our wedding day, I'm surprised that <laughs> that true. wasn't a tripping hazard. And I tumbled down the staircase at the local Grange Hall to <laughs> a painful death. Anyway, this was a day that was supposed to be her the happiest day of her life, and instead it became the last day of her life. What's even eerier, though, is that many guests over the years, over the many decades, have reported that in the grand ballroom, where celebrations and dances still take place, there have been claims of a spectral figure, a bride dancing by herself,
4: Aww.
3: her form illuminated by some sort of mysterious glow. Some hotel visitors have even said they have felt an unexplainable cold draft or a gentle brush against their arm when they pass by this dancing apparition. Now, if I was passing by a dancing apparition, I don't think I would pause long enough to brush against its arm. I would be running.
4: Yeah, but you wouldn't get very far because your shoes are falling apart.
3: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Many of these sightings happen at the bottom of the very staircase that she fell to. Many guests who have reported these sightings had never even heard the story of the bride's final day. So that's interesting.
4: Allegedly. Maybe it's just me, but am I the only one whose thought goes to maybe she was pushed and she wasn't the first <laughs> spectral figure in this space? And that maybe another spirit was jealous, jealous. of her on her yeah. special day? And that's p- a... Right down the stairs.
3: Very interesting theory. Mm. And uh, one I'm not going to dismiss.
4: No. No, why would you?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now there's the story of room 873. The Banff Hotel is massive, right? It's this castle-like place. Mm -hmm. Countless rooms, numerous floors. And among them lies the notorious room 873 on the eighth floor. Or supposedly it does. Back in the day, no one really knows exactly what year this happened. A family checked into the room, a husband, a wife, and a young child, a daughter. They were were probably hoping for a fun getaway, a vacation, or whatever, but the joyful getaway took a very dark, nightmarish turn very quickly. For reasons that remain a mystery to this day, some think it may have had to do with financial troubles. Others talk about hidden secrets. The husband had a horrifying breakdown while at the uh, hotel. And late at night, it's believed he brutally murdered his wife and daughter before Uh, taking his own life. But as chilling as that is, the aftermath is where it gets even spookier. Guests who later stayed in room 873 started reporting all sorts of bizarre occurrences. I'm talking about waking up in the dead of night to hearing anguished screams coming from inside the walls.
4: This makes me want to watch that movie with John Cusack.
3: Better Off Dead? What is that? It was an underrated 80s um, teen classic.
4: Now, when you say underrated...
3: It didn't do very well at the box office, but I enjoyed it.
4: 1408 is the name of the movie that I was thinking of, not either of the things that you just said. (laughs) It's a spooky movie, and it's got John Cusack in it.
3: I love John Cusack.
4: And I find him to be even more intriguing after hearing that story by danny trejo on a podcast he was asked like of all the people that he's worked with over the years like who to danny trejo a mm. very intimidating dude <laughs> yeah who is intimidating to him and he said hands down John Cusack. Really? Yeah. He's just got, he said something about his eyes makes you think like this man could do anything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. He's, he's, an, he's a wonderful actor. So people wake up, they hear screaming coming from inside the wall. Some have seen fleeting images of a woman and a young girl in the hallway. Mm. But uh, one of the most unsettling reports were these bloody handprints that would show up on the mirrors Ooh. in the room. And no matter how hard they tried to clean them off, they kept coming back.
4: Uh, housekeeping?
3: Now here's where the thought plickens. The hotel, perhaps in a bid to escape bad press or simply give the room its peace, supposedly decided to seal off room 873. Legends say they didn't just lock it up. They actually bricked up the entrance, making the room vanish as if it never existed. And to this day, when you stroll down the eighth floor corridor, not only is there no room 873, but where there should be one, there's an eerie space. It's like a gap in a row of teeth. Really? Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, if you ask the hotel about it, they say it's just architectural design.
4: But the room number is skipped?
3: Yeah, the mystery of room 873 continues to be one of those tales That, again, blurs the line between fact and fiction. Now, it could very well be that they just missed a room number at some point when they're remodeling and there's this gap in the hallway and people built this myth around it. I guess that's possible.
4: That would be so funny if the guy in charge of, like, room numbers was just like, oh, fuck.
3: Yeah, I'm out of threes. (laughs) Now, apart from these two famous tales, there are countless other stories and many have been collected and preserved over the years by the staff and guests. Sarah, uh, who was a guest in the 1990s, said, quote, I was staying at the hotel for a weekend getaway. Late one evening, I was headed back to my room when I heard the faint sound of wedding music. I followed the sound to the ballroom only to find it empty but it was truly unsettling and and, and seeing fleeting impressions of dancing feet on the ballroom floor as if a ghostly bride was twirling in her wedding gown. That gives me wicked haunted mansion vibe. Right, exactly what I thought too. I don't think I could pack my overnight case quickly enough after after seeing that.
4: But Sarah, no time is a good time for goodbye.
3: Martin, who was a bartender there for 15 years, said one evening I was closing up and I saw a woman in an old-fashioned wedding dress. At the far end of the room, I started to approach her thinking she might be part of a themed wedding party, but she vanished right before my eyes. Later, I learned about the legend of the Phantom Bride. He did not know about it.
4: See, that's like that hotel that we stayed in in Tampa when we both had like the spooky Duke feelings before we knew that about the the haunting stories there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I tend to be kind of like poo-poo, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm not close-minded. I don't think. I just, I need some sort of verification, right? I don't just buy into anything. But this was very weird for me because I had these feelings and this spooky sensation before... We even knew that there were ghost stories from that building.
3: I remember we both walked by this. It's uh, La Meridian. The Meridian in Tampa Bay. It used to be the old courthouse. Lots of drama there over the years, sure. including a mob hit on the staircase.
4: Gorgeous building, though.
3: Beautiful building. Well, our room was re- renovated from what was at one point part of the judge's chambers, and it also led to a holding cell where they would put uh, people on trial right before they took them into the courtroom. Mm. And right between those two parts of the hotel, in a hallway, we were walking, and at the same time, we both went, "Did, did you feel that?" Yeah. And then Haggis wouldn't. He wouldn't go. He didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. He kept trying to pull away from that area. And so we go to a hotel staff and we say, um, hey, is this hotel haunted? <laughs> and they didn't even look up from their paperwork. They're oh, like, yeah. yeah. And uh, later what I had like, go-
4: like Fred or something.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't remember. But I got my ghost app out, my ghost radar app out. Mm-hmm. And I started walking around the bar And uh, right in front of the doorway, it said entity detected. And later we're talking with the bartender there and he goes, he's telling stories. He goes, oh yeah, the uh, guy that uh, there was a mob hit and he was shot right there. And it was right where I was standing with my ghost detector. Anyway, ghosts, ghosts are real. A housekeeper for seven years said I once was tasked with cleaning a room near where 873 would be. On multiple occasions, I'd find hallway lights near that area, inexplicably turned off. But what truly spooked me was one day I saw small handprints on the window at the end of the corridor. They looked like they were children's handprints, but they were way too high for a child to reach.
4: Ew. And that, I don't know why your story just reminded me of so many movies, but <laughs> that reminds me of one of the spookiest scenes from any movie ever, which was that Stephen King movie. I think it was... Graveyard shift?
3: It's not surprising you're thinking of Stephen King movies during the story because all I've been picturing the entire time is The Shining and the Stanley Hotel. Oh, yeah. Very similar vibe. A guest named Clara, who stayed at the hotel in the in the 1980s, recorded, quote, My husband and I were enjoying a peaceful evening in our room. It was late at night. We heard a knock. We opened the door to find a little girl, around 7 or 8, asking... If she could come in and play. We were baffled thinking she was lost, but when we looked down the corridor, she had vanished. The next day, we learned about the legend of the family in 873 and wondered if we had met their little daughter.
4: Which reminds me of one of the spookiest scenes from any movie ever. Remember Salem's Lot with the little boy outside the window?
3: Honestly, this hotel is one of those places that beautifully combines history and legend. And it is fascinating how stories can evolve over time and how places become more than just brick and mortar. They become living, breathing entities filled with memories and tales of the past. And whether you believe in ghosts or not, you can't tell me you wouldn't want to go check this place out for yourself. Of course. And even if you don't meet any ghosts... I would imagine the beauty of this place is haunting enough.
4: Oh, look at you.
3: My source information, the historic haunting of Alberta's Banff Springs Hotel, Paranormal Historical Society, ghost stories of the Banff Springs Hotel and personal accounts from guests and staff that have been collected over the years.
4: That's definitely on the list.
3: The Banff Springs Hotel. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca.
4: And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them.
3: Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help.
4: Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills.
3: Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. At checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer.
2: And now, that thing in the middle.
3: After Japan's surrender, trials would begin shortly after the end of World War II. The Prime Minister of Japan, Tojo Hideki, would stand before the military tribunal to face judgment. But prior to the trial, he asked that his teeth be fixed so he could speak on his own behalf. So a dental prosthetics officer for the Navy, who was stationed in Japan, was dispatched. They crafted a set of upper dentures, but the technician thought he'd make some custom alterations to the teeth. He thought he'd drill Remember Pearl Harbor on the inside of the teeth, but knew that if he got caught, it meant instant court-martial. So, he did it in Morse code, literally putting words in Tojo Hideki's mouth.
4: Sebastian sent us a message. Hi, Cat and JG. I had another boo effect and I was ecstatic about it. I haven't been able to listen to the Box of Oddities for a while because time just ...doesn't permit anymore. I finally got a chance to start catching up again on Friday. I casually listened to Boxes 505 to 509, and in one of those episodes, y'all talked about how Kat's family doesn't believe in gifting knives... They have to be purchased. I didn't pay much attention to it because I'm sure I've heard y'all talk about it in a previous episode. That's why I don't remember the specific episode. (laughs) Anyway, Saturday, the next day, I attended my soon-to-be sister-in-law's wedding shower. Her aunt bought her a nice set of kitchen knives, and inside the box was a penny. She immediately gave the penny to her aunt. My fiancé asked me why she did that, and... What was the point? So I got to explain it to her. And I told her, I only know this because I heard it last night on the Box of Oddities. <laughs> I've missed listening to y'all, and I'm glad I'm able to start doing it again. Y'all have filled my head with so many interesting and random facts I love to share with people. Thank you for being such a big influence in my life and knowledge. Y'all are the best. You're the best, Sebastian.
3: Yeah, you are. Valerie writes, Dearest Cat, NJG. I was meaning to send this last week, but I'm a master of procrastination. That's, I think the technical term for that is masticrator. Uh, anyway, so here's the message a week late. I had my first poo effect. I was at work binge listening, as I have been for a while now. Of course, I started from episode one because I'm crazy, but not that crazy. Mm. And I was listening to the episode where Kat talks about period euphemisms. (laughs) I was feeling kind of bloaty and thought maybe I just needed to have a good work poop. So... I finished up the episode and made my way to the bathroom. Uh, it was then that I discovered that my period had started a week early, and my um. inner voice screamed, quote, Cat walls put communists in my damn gazebo. <laughs> I usually call it Shark Week, but I think this is my new favorite. <laughs> communists in my gazebo. Yeah, that was a long time ago.
0: Oh, that's good.
3: I also wanted to thank you for a few things. Firstly, uh, for inspiring me to cross something off my bucket list next month. I've got to a cluster of episodes where Mothman seems to be mentioned an awful lot, and I ended up the night with the episode where Jethro was talking about Indrid Cold. I've always wanted to go to Point Pleasant and see the Mothman statue. I've decided to do it in October, because what better month to do so? Secondly... Wanted to thank you, too, for helping me get through one of the hardest times of my life, sparing all the many details. About a year ago, I lost everything and had to move cross-country with just my car, my computer, and my cat. I had a mental break in a hotel halfway through my trip and was in the worst mental state of my life. I've always struggled with depression and anxiety. I hear ya. But uh, after that, I decided to get an evaluation. was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 34. Better late than never. I'm
4: so glad you were diagnosed.
3: It was a lot to face actually having a name for what the problem was with my stupid brain. And after leaving behind everything I had known, I was having a massive identity crisis. I felt lost, confused, and alone. I thought I'd lost myself. Then I found your podcast, and it helped me so much. I had spent the last 10 years pretending to be normal and fit myself into a box that somebody else wanted me to fit into. Mm-hmm. Y'all reminded me that it's okay to be a freak. It's okay to believe the logical explanation for everything is clearly ghosts or aliens or cryptids. <laughs> well, yep. at least from Jethro's perspective. Cat <laughs> reminds me that it's okay to have big feelings. And that it's okay to be quirky and do things that make you happy, even if other people might think you're a big weirdo. Oh, and I love animals. Okay, I'm done rambling for now. Love you both so much. Val.
0: Great job, Val
1: So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
4: I want to start off by saying this is the most comfortable I've been recording an episode in, I don't know...
3: A long time.
4: 17 years.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we're we very, very close to finishing the studio. It's We've exciting. We
4: finally bought a couch for the studio area. Um, so I've been saying chairs because that's what I had mentally in my brain parts. Mm-hmm. But we got like a little love seat and I'm reclining on it right now. And I feel... Magical, yeah, it is the most luxurious experience. I can't even express to you. I mean, yeah, our the rest of the space is cobbled together with painter's tape and foam that we bought from a hardware store. But this situation, mm-hmm. this lounging on yeah, this couch, yeah, yeah. I yeah. am in heaven. And
3: getting that love seat was no easy task. From our experience, might we suggest you do not furniture shop when the national Ecuadorian soccer team is playing the, the qualifying quarterfinals of the World Cup because it's it's hard to get people's attention.
4: It was cute. We would literally be like, yeah, I like this fabric. This is nice. And our salesperson would just get up from the desk and walk away toward the TV. <laughs> Just so excited about what was going on. Maybe they almost scored.
3: Almost.
4: And then she'd just come back and go, (laughs) lo siento. (laughs) It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Anyway, the other day I was out for a walk along the Yanunkai admiring flora and fauna.
3: That's a river, in case you're wondering.
4: No, flora and fauna means like plants (laughs) and animals.
3: The Yanukai is is what I was referring uh -uh,
4: to. The blue jacaranda. The tanningers, that's a tree and a bird. Uh New to me, by the way. Anyway, something flitted from a rock wall toward my face. Wow, I said out loud (laughs) in a public space to a bug. What are you? (laughs) Now, she was about two inches long with long wings and so colorful. Orange wings with an iridescent blue-green underneath. I couldn't see her body well because she was so fast So I tried taking a video while I followed her. So here I am chasing this bug down the street. And at one point she stopped on a rock wall and I was able to get really
3: close to her. Now, how do you know it was a female?
4: Well, I'll get there. Okay. I'm going to tell you how I I know it was a female.
3: Just wondering if you uh, had stopped to identify its gender before you chased it.
4: No, I, no. All right. But I know now. So, okay. You know, yeah. I didn't know, but now I know, so I'll, I'll use the proper term. Fair enough. Thank you. I often call animals he, and you don't question that at all. Do you just assume that all things should by default be a he? Do you feel like he is the default? Interesting. I don't think... Patriarchy.
3: You call anything he. Any animal he.
4: You're so wrong. Go back to any number of episodes and I'll talk about little he and little him. If it's a bear or whatever, uh-huh. I'll be like he scoodles yeah. along he. being okay. a bear mm-hmm. and I'll Okay it is oh oh people are gonna correct you.
3: <laughs> I just remember you describing as an eagle like this. Oh, she's thick.
4: Well that was a she. You could tell by her fat booty. (laughs) Let
3: alone the the plumage.
4: (laughs) Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So I'm chasing this bug down the street. (laughs) So I was able to get really close to her at one point. Um, At that point, she flew at me with great speed and intensity. And I did one of these maneuvers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that. And I decided that... I had enough documentation and I was on my way. When I got home, we had a Zoom meeting for, you know, the patrons. And someone said, you know, it would be a fun topic for Boo is like more bug stuff. I want to learn more about insects.
3: There's some weird ones here. And I was
4: reminded that I was bombarded by a giant bug earlier that day. So after the Zoom, I went to my insect app and I found out that the bug that I had encountered was called a tarantula hawk wasp.
3: Well, that doesn't sound good. I don't like the word tarantula. Hawk is very predatory. And wasp? Nah, I don't even like the sound of the word wasp.
4: I don't feel so bad now about the sound that I made um, now that I've learned a little more about them. Let's dive into the world of the tarantula hawk wasp. These are really fascinating creatures and they can be found in the Americas In the southwestern United States, parts of Mexico, and sometimes the northern parts of South America. But they can also be found in India, Southeast Asia, Africa, and Australia. They like to hang out in arid regions like deserts where it's warm and dry. It was noted in my app that they feed on nectar from flowers and can also be toxic to humans and are venomous. Yeah. Of course, I come from of, Maine. Of
3: course they are. Where
4: nothing, quite literally, nothing is venomous. So my curiosity sometimes borders on. <laughs>
3: yeah. <Death laughs> What's <wish>?
0: that? <laughs> Neat.
3: Can I hug you? <laughs> I remember the first time we visited Ecuador, we were at the Pumapungo ruins. There was a llama there, and you went up to it. Like that was some sort of universal animal language. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right.
4: It's weird that you didn't know that.
3: Was that llama male or female? Do you remember?
4: I didn't lean down far enough to check.
3: (laughs) Okay. Which is odd because normally you take a crouching position when you go,
4: I do recall crouching, but due to all the low hanging fur, because he might have been an elk, an alpaca actually now that I recall. So there was a lot of fur it. Listen, I don't want to talk anymore about quadruped genitals. If that's cool with you.
3: All right, let's move along. Cool. Have you ever seen a mountain goat's penis?
4: Anyway, these beauties, I learned, are terrifying. Let's start with their looks. When it comes to unique characteristics, these wasps are known for their vibrant colors. Like so often is the case, these colors though are a warning. The females have iridescent bodies with bright red or orange wings, and they can be quite eye-catching. I know they caught my eye.
3: Aha, that's how you knew.
4: Well, no, I mean the, the males have the bright orange wings also.
3: Oh, then it remains a mystery.
4: Now there are different types. Oh, it's scary! Okay.
3: Cat was just terrified by a piece of falling foam.
0: It was coming
3: at me. It was not coming at you. It was obeying the laws of physics. <laughs> Gravity acted upon it, and uh, the adhesive on the tape apparently did not prevent it.
4: Anyway, there are different types of tarantula hawks, each with their own cool features. The Western tarantula hawk, for example, is one of the biggest wasps that you'll find in North America with a wingspan that can stretch up to three inches. Oh, shut up. That makes them the giants of the wasp world. And these wasps are sturdy, which comes in handy when they come face to face with tarantulas. As I said, they've got this shiny blue-black body, and their wings can be anywhere from orange to mahogany, and sometimes they match their body, blue and black. But you can't miss their long legs. They've got hooked claws on the ends of their long legs, which are perfect for like grappling with their victims.
3: I thought my story was scary, but jeez. Male tarantula hawks
4: have straight antennae, where the females have curly ones. That's how you can tell the difference. I see. The ladies release special scents called pheromones, and the longer antennae helps uh, the males catch those signals and find potential mates. And these wasps are known for their impressive flying skills. Some species can fly through the air at 20 miles per hour.
3: Um, okay, now how prevalent are they here in, in Ecuador? Because I'm looking at flights. Right, right? <laughs> Right now. (laughs) That terrifies me.
4: Now, when it comes to their love lives, the female tarantula hawk wasps have an interesting way of reproducing. First, they search out for a tarantula, which is their prey. Once they find one, they sting it with their venomous stinger. And that venom is meant to paralyze the tarantula. And then the wasp will drag this giant spider into its burrow. Still alive. Yes. And then you probably guessed by now, we've talked about parasitic wasps before. Mm -hmm. They lay their eggs in the tarantula's body. And when the wasp eggs hatch, they feed on the still living tarantula, which is very upsetting. Oh, man. Then an adult wasp will emerge from the tarantula's body.
3: Seems like a awfully long roundabout way to find a mate.
4: Well, that's not how they find their mates. They find their mates using pheromones.
3: I thought you were saying that the female stung the tarantula, dragged it back into its den, laid its eggs inside of it, and then a male would come out. No. Okay. I misunderstood.
4: Adult, adult wasps grow from the eggs that were laid inside the tarantula.
3: I hate all of this.
4: I feel like you're not listening, but kind of on purpose.
3: <laughs> can you blame like, me you're
4: like mm-hmm, yeah oh, mm, bugs neat yeah, mm-hmm,
3: cool, mm-hmm. yeah yeah great it's nice sound like they're fun i'm just wondering if they're going to be attracted to your hummingbird feeder
4: so anyway male tarantula hawk wasps do not have stingers the females have the stingers and they can measure at about a quarter of an inch in length <laughs> these wasps are equipped with remarkably large stingers, making them a challenge for most animals to consume. However, roadrunners can eat them, which is interesting. Wow. Do we have roadrunners here?
3: I don't think so. Damn it. I mean, I've never seen one.
4: Me neither. Due to their potent stings, many predatory animals tend to avoid tarantula hawk wasps. (laughs) (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Additionally, there are other insects, including other wasps and bees, which will mimic their appearance as a means of protection. Like they are so well known in the animal kingdom as being someone you don't fuck with mm. that other bugs are like, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm also a tarantula hawk wasp. So don't mess with me. It's
3: kind of like the mob. <laughs>
4: Unlike the trend observed in social insects, tarantula hawk wasps stand out with the severity of their stings. This peculiar characteristic is believed to have developed because these wasps spend a lot of time in exposed habitats. So they're very vulnerable to predators. So they have developed this intense sting over the years. Now, are you familiar with the Schmidt Sting Pain Index? No. It's a pain scale rating the relative pain caused by different hymenopteran stings. Now, hymenoptera is a large order of insects that's comprised of like wasps, bees, ants, and sawflies. And there are over 150,000 living species of hymenoptera described. Not all of them sting, though. Justin O. Schmidt who's a former bug scientist from Arizona. He did a ton of research on the Hymenoptera. And of those that sting, he agreed to be stung by most of them. No. 1983. Worst
3: job ever. <laughs>
4: In 1983, he wrote a paper to compare and organize the insect venoms. And he came up with a pain scale rating stings from zero to four. Zero meaning there was virtually no effect on humans. Two was your typical bee or wasp sting. Mm -hmm. And four was the worst. Schmidt and his partner, Michael Smith, even won an IG Nobel Prize in 2015 for their insect research. And they totally deserve it, I think, (laughs) due to all the stinging. Anyway, according to Schmidt, the highest pain ranking on his, well, his scale, was the bullet ant. Okay. And that's the only thing that ranked higher than the tarantula hawk wasp on this pain scale. He described the tarantula hawk wasp sting as blinding, fierce, and shockingly electric. Another researcher described the pain as immediate, excruciating, unrelenting pain that simply shuts down one's ability to do anything except scream.
3: <laughs> this is horrifying. I mean, it would be if I was listening. God.
4: So in summary... The tarantula hawk wasps are found in warm, arid regions. They enjoy nectar from flowers. They have vibrant colors to scare away predators. They reproduce by paralyzing tarantulas and laying eggs in their bodies. And though they use it mainly for hunting and defense, have an incredibly painful sting. Also, I'm an idiot. (laughs)
3: Don't be chasing. What was that song by TLC? Don't Don't be chasing. Don't
4: chase. Tarantula. Tarantula hawk Hawk
3: wasps. I love that song.
4: (laughs) I got my information from desertusa.com, nps.gov, planetnatural.com, and my app that I use, Picture Insect. It's not my app. I didn't make it. It's the app that I have on my phone that right. I use to identify insects.
3: Right. Need to clarify those things. Yeah. Um, and I need to clarify this. Our email address to send your Halloween submission for our annual Halloween special is curator at the box of dot com.
4: I want your stories. Tell me about the spooky thing that happened to you.
3: But in your own words, record it on your phone and email it to us. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. We're looking forward to uh, our upcoming Halloween special and perhaps you'll be in it.
4: Did you narrowly escape a serial killer? Did a ghost haunt your dad's convenience store?
3: Did your dad's convenience store narrowly escape a serial killer? We want to know. Curator
4: at theboxofoddities.com.
3: See you next time.
4: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that
2: the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.